When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straightforward and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement. Good news. You found the Retirement Playbook sponsored by APO Financial. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. It's time for the Retirement Playbook. And now, here are your hosts, John Crows, John Goodhue, and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Good morning and welcome to the Retirement Playbook, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about mutual funds versus ETFs, the differences and uses, also different types of annuities, and we'll talk about wills versus trust, which is right for you, and how Social Security, retirement account distributions, and pensions are taxed. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial right here in Lorium. And I'll start with you, Coach Crows. How you doing today? Uh, wonderful, wonderful day to, for the first Saturday of December. Yeah, hard to believe that December is here already. But you know, and Christmas is what, just a couple of weeks away? I'm going to say three weeks away, something like that. And John Goodhue, you're up there uh, visiting from the mothership. How's your trip to uh, the UP been so far? Oh, it's been great. You know, every, every time I meet new people up here, they're just so great and met some just wonderful new people. Yeah, I just really, really like it up here. Yeah, there really is no other part of the country like this. We call ourselves youpers, I guess, if you're from this part of the country as natives, but the rest of us will just call ourselves happy visitors to uh, enjoy all the fine camaraderie of the people who endure this part of the country. And I say endure because winter is just, I mean, how long is winter there, John Crows? You've lived there your entire life. Way, way, way too long. <laughs> well, you had a little vacation to Florida just recently. So anyway, as I said, you got to be tough to be a youper, I think. But anyway, Anyway, we're certainly glad that everybody decided to join us here for the Retirement Playbook and a lot to talk about on today's show. Before we get started, I want to remind folks of the telephone number. If you have questions about anything that we've talked about on the show today, we're going to be talking about, or maybe you've got some suggestions of things that you'd like us to talk about, or you want to ask uh, some questions of us that we can ask the guys on the air, that telephone number 906-523-9030, 906-523-9030. Okay, let's dive in, gentlemen. I've heard of these things called mutual funds and ETFs. Actually, they're quite common in the retirement planning business. So let's distinguish between the uh, two of those. Now, I hear Dave Ramsey talking on the radio, and of course, he's not a licensed financial pro, but he's really just an entertainer, and he talks about getting a good growth mutual fund. And I hear that talked about all the time. So what exactly is a mutual fund, and is it common to have it in a retirement account, and why? Well, I think uh, I'll pick up right here, right off the bat, and uh, tell a little bit about mutual funds and, and ETFs, which are known as exchange-traded funds. And they're both types of investment funds that pool money from multiple investors to invest in quite a diversified portfolio of securities, such as stocks, bonds, and other assets. Mutual funds themselves pool money and use that money to buy a diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, and other securities. It's managed by a professional fund manager or management team. They make investment decisions on behalf of the investors, and basically they follow a particular investment strategy or objective that's outlined in their prospectus. Exchange-traded funds are, are investment funds that are traded on the stock exchange. 
much like individual stocks. They combine features of both mutual funds and individual stocks, offering diversification of a fund with the flexibility of trading on an exchange throughout the day. A lot of similarities between these, and the number one is stated in both of them, the diversifications. They give investors a chance to, and ability to diversify their investment portfolios. They're both professionally managed and liquidity. And they're very easy to liquidify their portfolio. There's professional research and analysis, dividend distribution, both mutual funds and ETFs distribute dividends and capital gains to their investors. Basically, that depends on the income generated by the underlying securities, and they both are under regulatory oversight. So there's a lot of similarities there, but you also have to look at what are what are some of the main differences. And right off the bat, it starts with some of the trading. Mutual funds are bought and sold only at the end of the trading day. ETFs are traded just like stocks throughout the day, and they're sold at market price or bought and sold at market price at any time during market hours. Intraday trading, like we just said, mutual funds are traded at the end of the day and transactions are processed at the day's closing net asset value. ETFs are traded in a day, allowing investors to react to market fluctuations and trade at prices that may vary throughout the day. Expense ratios. Mutual funds may have higher expense ratios, particularly for actively managed funds. And ETFs are typically lower because a lot of them are passively managed funds. Load fees. Some mutual funds charge sales load front end or back end, uh, which are fees that you pay when you're buying or selling shares. ETFs generally do not have load fees, although investors might incur some brokerage commissions when buying and selling shares. Fractional shares is another big difference. Mutual funds allows investors to buy fractional shares. ETFs are traded in whole shares, so investors need to buy full shares. And portfolio transparencies. Mutual funds typically disclose their holdings on a quarterly basis, whereas ETFs disclose their holdings daily, provided more frequent transparency into the fund's portfolio. Coach Crows, that is a lot of great information there. I appreciate you telling us about that. The question that comes to mind with so many benefits to each of these, why would you want to use one, a mutual fund versus an ETF? Why would you want to use one versus the other? Well, there can be some differences and reasons. But one, if you're really an active trader, you're going to use uh, exchange-traded funds and not mutual funds. Like John said, Mutual funds don't close till the end of the trading day, so you can't trade them in day. Another one is mutual funds generally have significantly higher fees and expenses than exchange-traded funds do. That would be another reason that a lot of people, a lot of people who they're really, really expense and cost conscious will use really low, low fee, low expense uh, exchange-traded funds. The other reason that you might use a mutual fund, though, is if you wanted professionally fund manager, professionally managed, that's really going to be more of a mutual fund. Exchange traded funds are really a basket of either mostly similar things, like it could be a healthcare ETF with a basket of a number of healthcare companies, could be a technology uh, sector exchange traded fund, but those funds aren't being traded within that exchange traded fund. They're there, they're going to sit there. One reason I like exchange traded funds, however, the one thing I don't like about exchange traded funds that I see in people's portfolios. Somebody will have bought or, or and a financial advisor would have bought an exchange traded fund in their portfolio three years ago. 
and they've held it for three years. That's not the real reason the exchange-traded funds were created in the first place. They're really more of a trading tool. And generally, a sector is probably not going to be good for all three years. If you're going to use exchange-traded funds, I would say think about them more as an investment tool that you ought to use on an in-and-out-of-market basis instead of just a long-term buy-and-hold basis. Gentlemen, when you mentioned that these can be traded, of course, stocks can be traded. When I think of stocks, I think of risk. What is the risk factor involved with mutual funds versus exchange-traded funds? Are they similar? They are similar. Like I said, exchange-traded funds are more static because the, the holdings aren't changing. In mutual funds, you know, the managers do change their positions in mutual funds you know, during the year. So I think that might be an advantage to mutual funds that it may reduce some problems that buy and hold investing in general has problems with. So that I think that's the, the I think the professional management is probably helps on the risk factor too. I have a question for you, John. Since these are pools of money, whether you're looking at mutual funds or exchange traded funds is, does the risk affect the entire mutual fund or does it affect just individual parts of it? Oh, that's a good question. It, it affects the entirety. So like exchange-traded funds, you'll have different holdings in there, but that, that's going to pass through to the overall value of the exchange-traded fund itself. But same thing with a mutual fund. A mutual fund might have 40 or 50 different positions. For example, if it's a, if it's a stock fund, those stocks are trading up and down and losing money, gaining money. But how the values reported is you take the, the values and the losses and the gains of the whole portfolio and that's really the, what the net asset value or the net book value of that mutual fund is. We're talking with John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial. We're talking about mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. What about the choices that you have in each of these investment instruments? Do you have more choices in one versus the other? Well, you have lots of choices in mutual funds. I mean, there are literally over 15,000 mutual funds out there. A lot of them do exactly the same thing. So I think that's one thing I would kind of downplay a little bit. Exchange-traded funds, there are fewer exchange-traded funds just as baskets of funds. But there's a lot of choices in the exchange-traded fund world. And there's mixed baskets of exchange-traded funds. With exchange-traded funds, you can get really more granular than you can generally with a mutual fund. So if you're really interested in a sector, for example, you're probably better off with an exchange-traded fund than a mutual fund. We're talking with John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial. We're talking about mutual funds versus ETFs. If you've got questions about our topic today, then I want you to request your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment APO Financial Retirement Playbook Review by calling 906-523-9030. You can call it today if you'd like. That's 906-523-9030. Now, when you call, you'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line. It's more than likely going to be Laura, who'll gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with John there to create a path towards a successful retirement. Now, as I said, you can call today when I talked about the voice. More than likely, you're going to get a uh, voice message today, but simply leave your information. Laura will give you a call back on Monday, and she'll set an appointment for you to sit down and talk with John Crows there at APO Financial about your retirement journey. No obligation. Consider it a community service here that APO is giving out to the people here of the Lorium area. Again, not going to cost you a dime. You can also request your consultation online at apofinancial.com. That is apofinancial.com. Want more strategies to support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Don't go away. There's more Retirement Playbook from APO Financial in just a moment. You can't start a journey you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. 
To request your no-cost, no-obligation retirement playbook review, call 906-523-9030 or request it online at apofinancial.com. Now back to more of the Retirement Playbook with John Crows, John Goodhue, and Jeff Shea. We certainly are glad that you decided to include us in your weekend plans. This is the Retirement Playbook with John Crows and John Goodhue from APO Financial. We're here for you each and every week for your fiscal fitness and your financial education on the radio. Once again, if you've heard anything that piques your interest, you'd like to get in and sit down, have a talk with uh, John Crows there in the APO office in Lorium. That number to call 906-523-9030. 906-523-9030. You can also request your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment retirement review online at apofinancial.com. Okay, in this segment, gentlemen, I want to talk about annuities. You know, I think most people have heard the term annuities. They kind of know what it is, and they've heard that guy in the radio saying, I hate annuities, and you should too. So we've got a lot to cover in this particular segment. So first of all, let's talk about what an annuity really is. Well, the word annuity, I think, number one, it's not a dirty word. That's what I always tell people. All the word annuity means is, Whatever it's called an annuity, whatever that is, it just means it can, it doesn't necessarily have to, but it can create a guaranteed lifetime income for you. That's what an annuity really means. Then there's different types of annuities. And there's really basically three main types. And yeah, you know, and so John, yeah, won't you cover that? Yeah. The first of the three is referred to as a fixed annuity. It provides a guaranteed stream of income for a specified period, or you could also go for the lifetime of the the annuitant. It's a type of contract where the insurance company basically agrees to make regular payments to the annuitant either immediately or at a future date. Some of the key features of a fixed annuity would be a fixed interest rate. In other words, the insurance company is basically going to guarantee a fixed interest rate on the principal amount invested in the annuity for a specific period. You're also going to get regular payments. The annuitant receives regular periodic payments from the insurance company, either monthly, quarterly, annually, or another agreed upon frequency based on your contract. Tax deferred growth is also a big part of this. The earnings on the principal are tax deferred until you start receiving your payments. And the thing that's nice about fixed annuity is there's no market risk. The returns are linked to the performance of underlying investments and they provide a stable and predictable income stream. And due to the contract, uh, you have a guaranteed minimum interest rates. And basically fixed annuities are often chosen by individuals seeking a reliable and steady income stream in retirement. Variable annuities is basically the other end of this. It allows individuals to invest their money in a variety of investment options, such as mutual funds, stocks, bonds, And the returns are linked to the performance of these underlying investments. And as a result, the value of the annuity can fluctuate based on the market. And so you can get bigger returns, but you can also get smaller returns. And some of the key issues of a variable annuity are investment options, gives you the ability to have a range of investments, which are referred to as your sub-accounts. But because you have a range of investment options, you're also including market risk. You still have the same tax deferral. There's a guaranteed minimum death benefit that's offered and multiple annuity payout options. But the one thing that you do get here that you don't have with the fixed are fees and charges. Variable annuities often come with fees and charges. 
including mortality and expense charges, administrative fees, and fees associated with the underlying investment options. And that's the uh, I Hate Annuities, which is primarily Ken Fisher on, right. on the internet and the TV and everything. Those are the ones he, that he says he hates, the variable annuities. We don't like them very much either. Like primarily, like John said, primarily because you can lose money because your monies are primarily, you know, it's, it's in the market. But the real big one is the fees and expenses on those things are just so high. I think the average is like three, three and a quarter percent a year. But most people add a couple of other benefits that take them a lot of times over 5%. And you just can't make any money over time paying somebody 5% a year on something. So we tend to like more than the fixed and the fixed indexed annuities that people can't lose money in, that the gains are tied to market stock market indexes. So you're getting some real pretty good growth in a, in a good fixed index annuity. And you could also do them in many cases without any fees or expenses. So that we tend to like the fixed and fixed index families better than we do the variable annuity families for people, especially in retirement. So with fixed annuities, if I heard you correctly, Coach Crows, you were talking about creating an income stream that really lasts as long as you do. It lasts the rest of your life that you really can't outlive. Now, John Goodhue, you talked about the fixed index annuities. I want to go a little bit more into detail about that. There's that word index between fixed and annuities there. Am I correct in assuming that this annuity, in terms of its payout, is going to follow some sort of an index? That's exactly right. A stock market index. And okay. there's a whole bunch of stock market indexes. I think a lot of people think this, there's one stock market and there's really not. There's many, many, many market indexes out there. The one most people know is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That's the one that you see on TV all the time. But then there's more common ones are the S&P 500. Uh, you have NASDAQ, which is now the technology index. But there's lots of other different indexes. But yes, it, so basically, your money is not in the stock market, but it's able to track the performance of that index. So, for example, let's say that, that your, your performance is based on the S&P 500, and this year the S&P 500 goes up 10%. Well, you're not going to get all 10% in the fixed index annuity. But with a good growth annuity, you, you'll probably get somewhere between six, six and a half to eight, eight and a half. And so that's pretty good because you have no risk of ever losing any money. And they have indexing periods. Usually they're a year. And so after the first year, let's say you, you make uh, six or seven percent, that gets locked into your principal. Now you can't lose that either. And then let's say you're still tracking the S&P 500 for performance purposes. And let's say the S&P 500 goes down, it loses 30% next year. Well, you don't lose any of your principal. You don't lose any of your last year's gains. And that's not a bad deal. And you can do those oftentimes with no fees and expenses. Well, John, it sounds almost too good to be true, if I'm hearing you correctly. With a fixed index annuity, it's going to be following an index. And as you said, if the index is up 10%, there's a cap on this. So let's say the cap is 6%. You're going to get 6% as the cap of the 10, but you're not going to get the whole 10. But you talked about the floor of zero. Did you say that you can't lose money, that if the index goes down, that you don't lose any of the money? You, you Basically, all you can do is just gain money with this, right? Correct. Yeah. And a lot of people are surprised that fixed index annuities exist. When we talk to people and we start telling them exactly about what we're sitting here telling you that this actually does exist. You actually can have something where you lose no money. You have reasonable gains when the, when the stock market's cooperating 
when it's not cooperating and everybody else is losing money, you don't lose a penny. And then you can do it in many cases with no fees and no expenses. Some people say, oh, you know, that's, you can't do that. That's, you know, you're, you're lying to me or whatever. I never heard of that before, but it's true. And they've been around since about 1993. They're, they're a big part of, of people's retirement plans now. And they, and they just keep on the amount of uh, fixed index news that people are using every year, keep on growing. I mean, exponentially, literally every year, there's more and more of them that are being sold into the market because people really like them. We're talking with John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial right here in Lorium, and we are talking about different types of annuities. We've talked about fixed annuities, fixed index annuities, and of course, variable annuities that really not a lot of people are fans of those. Now, there's a couple of other types of annuities here that I have heard of, and I want you to explain those a bit for our audience. Immediate annuities versus deferred annuities. What are those two? How are they different? The immediate annuity is basically you're taking a lump sum of money and setting up a contract for immediate payments. I don't think you're getting your payment like within a week of setting this up because it does take a little bit of time. But for the most part, you're putting in a lump sum and getting your annuity payments pretty much immediately. Hence the word immediate. Yeah. And they can, and they can be lifetime, which a lot of people do, Mm -hmm. or you can do it. Like I think John said, when he was talking about annuities originally, you can do it for what are called a term of years. So you could say, okay, I want it over 10 years, or I want it over 15 or 20 years. At the end of that time, the payments stop, but you also, if you have a shorter period of time instead of your lifetime, you're getting more but with each payment. So that may be a reason somebody might do that. So with the fixed annuities, you're going to be getting a payout relatively soon. As you said, John Crow's not within a, maybe you know a couple of days or a week, but it could be a month or so. Let's talk about the deferred annuities. How deferred are those? Well, it depends. In generally, usually the quickest you can get with a deferred annuity uh, payments, for example, are a year. That's usually the quickest. You, you don't get a, maybe a payment for a year, but then that you can start in the second year. It's really up to you in general how long you defer and, and let the money grow until you decide to start taking income. Some are set on a set schedule that, you know, some that uh, deferred annuity might start at age uh, 75, for example. They have to start paying out at that particular time. But most deferred annuities, you get to pick when you want, want to start the income. And again, you can create them for your lifetime, payments for your lifetime, or you can you can do them in terms of years of 10, 15, 20 years. But that really is up to you and what it really fits your overall plan uh, of what you're trying to do in, in your retirement. So, so far, it sounds pretty good. It sounds like annuities could be a good answer for somebody who's looking for some lifetime cash flow that they can't outlive. And I love the fact that there's a fixed index annuity, sort of a hybrid there. The question, though, that I have is about risk. And you mentioned insurance companies that are providing these annuities. Is there the same risk with insurance companies as there would be with Wall Street? Because annuities are really not a Wall Street product, are they? They are not. They are an insurance product. They're actually issued by life insurance companies. I put it this way, nobody in the history of the United States has ever lost a penny in a fixed annuity or a life insurance contract. Uh, They're highly regulated. There are a lot of reserve requirements behind those products, including life insurance. There's a lot of reserves there. And that's why they're just a very, very safe, very safe tool. 
Okay, well, that sounds great then. Uh, I haven't heard of many insurance companies going out of business, so keep that in mind if you're thinking about annuities, that annuities are issued by life insurance companies, and they're really not Wall Street products. So on the risk ladder, annuities are relatively low. We're talking with John Crows and John Goodhue here of APO Financial. I can't think of why anyone would not want to do an annuity, but is there a circumstance where an annuity just may not be a good thing for someone? Yeah, if, if somebody really needs more income than an annuity can produce and they maybe they, they haven't saved enough, for example, going into retirement, an annuity is going to provide over a longer period of time a lower return. And so if they need a higher return, then they are probably going to need to turn to something else that's going to maybe grow more. Of course, that's also is going to have more risk to it. So there's upsides and downsides to everything. But that would be one thing I would think about. The other thing is you never put all your eggs in one basket anyway, or at least you shouldn't. And so there's a limit to how much you should allocate to the annuities in your overall portfolio and financial plan. I mean, I think you should have, that's the, I always call that, that's the safety bucket. That's the safe money for people. And people should have, they should have safe money and they should have growth money. And that should balance out their overall portfolio. And that, that should be everybody's financial plan. Unfortunately, these days, a lot of people are relying on the stock market 100% to fund their retirement. And my biggest concern with that is if when we have some really bad times and they're pulling money out of that side of their portfolio, the market's going down and they're pulling money out, they'll never get back to even. Even if the markets come back to even in six to seven years or so, which is what they've done historically, those people will never be back to where they were because they're pulling money out for that six and seven years. And that's when people start figuring out that they are they may be in trouble. And so I think some really good planning to make sure that doesn't happen to you is a really good idea. My opinion is you should have safe money and you should have some growth and risk side to your portfolio. What another reason that someone would not want to do an annuity is liquidity. I mean, let's say that I put $100,000, $200,000 into an annuity and then very shortly thereafter, hey, I need that money. Can you get it back? Well, you can get it back. They're fully liquid. However, you will pay a surrender penalty. It works pretty much like a, uh, if you go buy a five-year CD at the bank, for example, if you go pull the money out before five years, they're going to hit you with a penalty because they invested the money somewhere for five years. And so if you pull it out too soon, they're going to hit you with a penalty. The same thing with the insurance companies. You're going to, you're going to buy in like a fixed index annuity, for example, and let's say it has a 10-year term on it. If you pull it out before 10 years, yes, you can pull it out, but you are, they're going to hit you with an early withdrawal penalty. So that may be a reason, but my opinion is you need an overall plan to figure out in the first place where you should you be investing your money to really meet the goals that you're trying to get to in retirement. And so I would never put anybody's money after I've worked a plan with somebody, would put their money, any of their money into an annuity for a maybe a longer term period where they were going to need more than the, the free withdrawal amount. So for example, all, all annuities have the ability for you to make withdrawals without any penalties. Most of those run from 5% to 10% a year of the overall balance, which includes growth, principal and growth in that annuity. So if you need more than what the free withdrawal is, it, I mean, you shouldn't tie your money up in it. However, I also tell people, 
You should never, when you're distributing money in retirement, you should never go above about six or 7% because you will drain that bucket of money if you live a standard life expectancy. That bucket of money will be gone before you're dead. And, and then where are you? So th those are all aspects of it. I, I just th think as long as you stay within the free withdrawal amounts that where there's no penalties, no expenses during those years, you'll be fine. And I want to point out that every investment has some element of risk, but I think with annuities on the risk scale, they are relatively safe. If our listeners do have questions about annuities and whether or not they fit into their retirement plans, once again, that telephone number for you to call, 906-523-9030. That's 906-523-9030 to set up an appointment to talk about your retirement plan and whether or not annuities could be a good supplement for that plan. Again, no cost and no obligation, just a friendly conversation with the folks here at APO Financial, right in Lorium, 95 3rd Street, local folks just like us. 906-523-9030. You can also request your no-cost, no-obligation plan online at apofinancial.com. Want more talk about sustaining your wealth and thriving in a retirement that could last 30-plus years? Stay tuned for more Retirement Playbook from APO Financial after this. Ready to score a touchdown with your retirement plan? Touchdown! Good. You're listening to the Retirement Playbook. And now, back to the show with your coaches, John Crows, John Goodhue, and Jeff Shea. We certainly hope that you're having a happy holiday season. You are listening to the Retirement Playbook with John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial. Glad you could join us this week. We have a great show here in progress. Once again, if you've missed any part of our show today, you want to hear it again. We are also a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for the Retirement Playbook with John Crows and John Goodhue. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your journey towards retirement. Once again, we do have a local office right here in Lorium, 95 3rd Street. And John Crows, that's just like a, what, a block or so up from the Gip Arena, something like that? Oh, it's getting to be hockey season here, yeah. so everyone, everyone's over there. We're a block away. We're right on the corner of 3rd Street in Florida. And we just have our sign put up out in front here recently, so look for the APO financial sign. Right. It's that, it's that beautiful. What is it? A greenhouse? What color is it these days? It's really a historical house. Uh, it's got a couple different colors. There. Yeah, it's like kind of a light green and a yellow right now. Okay. We're going to change colors in the spring. I know the one you're talking about there. That is a beautiful house, but you guys have turned it into an office and it couldn't be more convenient for people to come in. 95 3rd Street, the corner of 3rd and Florida. Come on in and sit down. Say hello to John Crows and say hello to Laura and Matt, everybody in the office there. They'll be glad to see you. And if you do come in, we got some books we want to give away, guys. A bucket list book. John Crows or John Goodhue, tell us what's in that bucket list book. Oh, man. I created that bucket list book because when I first started this company about 15, 16 years ago, I had a big life event happen. And I had to really sit down and say, okay, what do I really need to be doing? What are the things that I missed? What do I really want to do before I leave this earth? Mm -hmm. And so I created it for me really to start with. And then I started talking with people and I started getting clients and things. And I realized most people, they think they've got a bucket list. If they sat down and never started filling it out, they would, but they don't have a real bucket list. There was not a physical list that they have. So I said, well, you know what? I'm going to create a book. And it's got a lot of um, ways to help. It helps you remember things, makes helps you plan things you might want to do. and really helps you keep up with the things that you do on your bucket list. 
It helps you, it almost acts like a diary too, of the things that you're doing. Everybody I give it to just loves it. It's just a great book. It, I've, I've filled up a, a few of them uh, so far. But all my clients really like it, and we, and we give it to everybody that we meet because I, I believe everybody should live their bucket list. I'm a big believer that, especially when you're getting into retirement, we're running out of runway, as they say. Right. And so we only have so many good years to, to do the things we want to do on our bucket list. One of my goals and one of all my advisors' goals are really help people live their bucket list, show them how they're going to be able to do it how they're going to be able to fund it, and how they're going to be able to do it safely so that they never run out of money, they never have to stress, and they get to have all those memories with their loved ones. I really love this book as well, too, John, and I'm like you. There are some things on my bucket list that I had forgotten, but if I write them down, I'm going to more than likely get to them. And you're many times the bearer of good news as well. Two people say that I could never do this, but I know from knowing you all these years, John, that you have made a lot of bucket list dreams come true. So if our listeners want to get a hold of this book, it's quite simple. You can call us at 906-523-9030, request your bucket list book, no cost, no obligation, or better yet, stop in, say hi, 95. 3rd Street, their corner of 3rd and Florida, APO Financial, request your bucket list book. Okay, John, in this segment, I want to talk about wills versus trust. And before we get to that, you know, I think a lot of people maybe neglect, I think, something that's very important. I've started working on this, and that is where important documents are located. I've heard horror stories of people passing away, of course, unexpectedly. Then the family comes along. They don't know whether there's a life insurance policy. They don't even know where it is, if there is one. They don't know where important papers are, the deed to the house, the cars, investments, and all that sort of thing. What do you suggest people do here towards the end of the year just to make their loved ones' lives easier? If they want to create, let's say, a locator list, can you help with that? Or what suggestion would you give someone? Yeah, I mean, we actually do that with people because to, in this day and age, the, one of the most important things, some people don't believe this, are people's logins to their bank accounts right. and to all the different things. And so you should have a central location for that. And you and you should let your loved ones know, you know, something happens to me. This is where I keep all my logins. This is where I keep all my information, my personal information, things you're going to need, uh, my bank account information, my investment information. You should really do that. And around this time of year is a really good time to be thinking about that because, you know, you never know. We don't know how much more time we've got on this earth. And I think just making everything easier for your loved ones is really, really important. That's why I tell people, anybody listen, everybody needs an estate plan. And because that's what wraps it all up and makes it easier for our loved ones if something were to happen to us, you know, unexpectedly. And when I think of an estate plan, I think of two things, a will versus a trust. So let's start there. Why would someone want or need a will or when would a will be good enough versus a trust or is it ever? My opinion is you need a will and you need a trust, a revocable, okay. now, a revocable trust. And an estate plan generally has several different documents. The first one is what, like a will, like you said. A will is kind of an overall who gets this or that type of instrument, but that's part of an estate plan. A will, though, is not an estate plan. There's so many people I ask, well, do you have an estate plan? I know John's heard this, is that, well, yeah, I've got a will. <laughs> well, okay, what else do you have? And they'll say, well, that's, that's what I've got. So these are the other documents you really, really need. You need a health care power of attorney. What happens if you get disabled, you know, in a car accident, have a stroke or something? Who's going to be making the medical decisions for you? You better pre-think this. 
Because if you don't, you're going to cause your family a lot of problems and headaches if something like that happens. You should have a general durable power of attorney. That's a different document. What that is, is that basically is somebody taking care of your money and other things, but primarily your money. When you're disabled, you can't make those decisions yourself. You also have another document, a living will. The living will basically are your like do not resuscitate orders at the end of life. And, you know, how long should they wait before they uh, take you off life support so that you, maybe your kids who live in another state have time to get here to say their goodbyes? Those are really, really important things to think about, and you need to pre-plan that. And you also, if, if you want to really protect your family, I believe you need a revocable trust. And I think if you're married, each one of you needs a revocable trust. My suggestion would be not to have one trust for both spouses because you're losing some benefits if you do that. So in a revocable trust, you should fund during your lifetime. You put things in it. You title real estate in it. You title investment accounts in it. It the beneficiary of your IRAs. And there's a lot of reasons to do that. And one of the big reasons is that way that trust controls is really the control document in an estate plan. And so that and if you need to make changes to like who you want to give things to or who you don't want to give things to, if you get, you know, ticked off at one of your kids or something, you can go to the trust, one document, make those changes, and you don't have to go out and do changes to, you know, five or six or seven different accounts and different mm -hmm. things. It just makes it a lot easier for you to manage it ultimately. And also when the time comes for your family to be able to, to make an orderly distribution of your assets to who you want them to go to. So a revocable trust means that you can change it. Like you said, maybe the kids act up or something like that, and they've acted up over a period of time, and you say, okay, well, I'm going to reduce what you get. You can change that trust. And as you said, you make a trust, but you've got to put things into the trust. Now, a will is a very simple document which simply says, who gets my stuff? You know, son John is going to get my wristwatch, and daughter Mary is going to get grandma's this or that or the other thing. It's who gets my stuff, but it is not an estate plan. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a will simply just means that you have an appointment with a court and a will has to be probated, right? That's right. Like if you have a will with a revocable trust, the will's going to say everything goes into your revocable trust. Now you may you may leave in in your will like you can designate like you said, you know, the that grandma's brooch, great grandma's brooch goes to my daughter because my son doesn't want it. You know, and great grandpa's watch goes to my son because my daughter was doesn't want it. So you can do that within the will, those those types of smaller bequests. But generally, your will is going to say everything goes into the trust. And so that's that's really how that operates. For those of you that are kind of wondering what probate is, I, you know, I was there and I, I get that question a lot, too, is you lose someone close in your family and they talk about stuff going through probate and people are like, what exactly is probate? And really it's just a legal process of which your deceased person's will is validated by the court and distribution of their assets are carried out. But it, you're also looking at taking care and paying any outstanding debts and taxes owed by the deceased individual. If there is not a will, probate court will oversee the distribution of assets according to what the state intestacy laws are. And there's some key aspects of probate. First one we just talked about is the will validation. They tend to appoint an executor who carries out the wishes of the will. And they notify creditors so they can make any claims against the estate. You're gonna do inventory and appraisal. 
of what the deceased person's assets are. You're going to take care of payments of debts and taxes, distribution of assets, and all of this goes through probate court approval. And I think one of the big things that people complain about with probate is how time-consuming it is, and it takes several months or even years to complete. The wills versus trusts have a lot to do with probate, and I was kind of hoping John could kind of talk about the difference and what trusts do for us in probate oh, yeah. versus wills. Absolutely. Well, if you things that you put into a trust, they get passed immediately upon your death. So those things don't have to go through probate. And that's one of the advantages of having a trust versus just a will. And if you structure a state plan appropriately, very little and sometimes none of your of your assets will go through probate because there are certain exemptions in different states for what kind of assets or what level of assets uh, you can get through without going through probate. And if you structure it properly, you can pretty much eliminate probate out of your loved one's lives when you pass. I prefer that. I don't really want the court, any court telling my family what to do. I want to be the one doing that. So that, that's another advantage of having a trust is those things won't pass through probate. Let's say that a spouse uh, passes away and the surviving spouse gets married again and the new wife or husband has children. How can a trust help someone keep their assets in their biological family versus the new family getting everything that you've worked for your entire life? Is that possible? Oh, yeah. It, it's not only possible, it's, it's, a, it's a real concern. There's so many people with blended families now. That's a monster concern for people. Yes, you can literally make sure that your assets stay what I call in your bloodline so that your stepkids you may or may not like won't be favored over your own your own biological children. But that's a very, very important thing. Now, in order to do that, it, it needs to be structured appropriately. And that can be the key to everything. Every structuring your plan, structuring your estate plan appropriately so it accomplishes your goals. But absolutely, you can, you, you could and, sh and can and should make that a goal for your estate plan. This is such an important topic, uh, gentlemen. I would highly encourage people to not go on the Internet. You know, get one of those cheap wills, one of those boilerplate things, and fill those things out. You know, there are a lot of holes that can be found there, and the same goes with trust as well, too. If our listeners are interested or you do have uh, questions about wills versus trust, you want to see which is right for you, and as we said, a will and a trust may be the way to go, certainly contact us at APO Financial and ask that question. We're certainly equipped to answer it for you. To get your no-cost, no-obligation retirement playbook, which does include wills, trust, and estate planning, call 906-523-9030. Do it today, if you will. There's someone there who will take your information from you and get back to you on Monday so that we can set up that appointment for you. And there are still slots available here before the end of the year. 906-523-9030. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last as long as 30 years. Again, no cost for this. It's 906-523-9030. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at apofinancial.com. Want more straight talk and honest answers about your wealth management and retirement journey? Stay with us. There's more Retirement Playbook from APO Financial here on AM 920 and FM 107.3 WMPL. Talk that bridges the gap. We're back with more strategies for a retirement in which you not only survive, but thrive. This is the Retirement Playbook from APO Financial. Once again, here's John Crows, John Goodhue, and Jeff Shade. 
Thank you so much for making this part of your weekend plans. You're listening to The Retirement Playbook with John Crows and John Goodhue. Here at APO Financial, my name is Jeff Shade. Once again, the telephone number to call, 906-523-9030. We would love to hear from you. If you have a topic that we have not discussed, maybe you've got a question for us that you'd like answered on the air, get it to us. We would love to have those questions so that we can tailor this program for you. This is your retirement program, and we want to make it as valuable to you as possible. So once again, Give us a call, 906-523-9030 with those questions. Or if you'd rather do it, go online to APO Financial. You can contact us from there. In this segment, gentlemen, I want to talk about how Social Security, retirement account distributions, and pension incomes are taxed. Now, I think a lot of people listening to us probably if they're over the age of 65, or I'm going to say 66, 67, because that's full retirement age, many of those people are getting Social Security. There's a misunderstanding that it is not taxed, but indeed, Social Security is taxed, but it's not 100%, is it? No. Social Security can be taxed once your income reaches a certain threshold, though. Okay, so is there an opportunity for your Social Security to be not taxed at all? As you said, an income threshold. I mean, let's say that you make $20,000, $15,000 in Social Security. Would you be taxed then? Well, it depends on what your other income is, too, because the way they do it, they take half your Social Security. Now, if you're married, that means half of both your Social Securities. And then they add what's called a Medicare adjusted gross income to it. And that's your adjusted gross income from your income tax. But then they add certain things back. My favorite one is this one. They add back the interest or the income that you get off of, let's say, municipal bonds. Everybody says, well, you know, the interest on municipal bonds aren't taxed at the federal level. That's why I bought some. And I say, yes, but they add that income back at a bunch of different areas. This just happens to be one. So is it not taxed? I, it kind of looks like it might be taxed to me. Sounds kind of sneaky. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, but that's what they do. So if, you know, if you haven't saved money and you don't have any other income, really, maybe besides Social Security or just a little bit somewhere, your social is not going to be taxed because you won't hit that threshold. It's 25000 for single uh, people. And the first threshold is 25000 and 32000 for a couple. If you hit those thresholds, remember, that's half your Social Security. It's both your Social Securities plus all your you know, adjusted gross income. Then 50% of it will be taxed. Now, people get this wrong. They say, you mean there's a 50% tax on my Social Security? <laughs> no. No. 50% of your Social Security will be taxed at whatever rate that your other income's taxed at. So if you're at the 10% tax rate, it'll get taxed at the 10% rate. The next level is a little little sneaker. It's 34,000 for a single and 44,000 for married. You hit that or higher, once you get a higher, 85% of your social security is gonna be taxed. I think it's a crime that they tax our social security. It was supposed to be a temporary tax. It was in, passed in 1983. Of course, when they when they impose taxes, they tend not not to ever go away. This one never went away. And so, if but people who've saved money for retirement, they find out, especially if they've saved money like in tax deferred accounts like 401ks and IRAs and 403bs and 401as and things. That money has to start coming out when you hit required minimum distribution age. Right now, that age is either 73 or 75, depending on when you hit those ages. And that money has to start coming out of those accounts. That goes straight to your adjusted gross income because none of that money's ever been taxed. So now your adjusted income's higher. And then people figure out sometimes that they're in as high of a tax bracket and sometimes higher tax bracket 
than they were when they were working. And then their social security gets taxed. And oh man, you talk about some PO people when they figure this out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, we paid taxes at one time in order to get social security. Now we're being taxed on the tax that we paid. It just seems like an unfair situation. Now, here in Michigan, we're rather lucky as well, too, because there are some states, correct me if I'm wrong, John, that also there's a state tax on Social Security. And I believe out at the mothership in Colorado, there's a state tax, but there's not one here in Michigan, is there? No, Michigan does not have a state tax for Social Security. Yeah, Colorado does, though. They're going to get me, so I I hate that. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. Well, the states that do tax Social Security, Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, North Dakota, Rhode Island, Utah, Vermont, and West Virginia all impose state taxes on Social Security, but not here in the great state of Michigan. Okay, so we've determined that Social Security certainly is taxed. You can pay no tax on it if you have relatively little Social Security, but it can be taxed up to 85% of your Social Security benefit. Again, I want to remind people, you're not paying 85% tax. You're only paying tax on 85% of your Social Security benefit. That is if you are really one of the more high-income earners. Let's talk about pensions. Now, I personally do have a pension. How are pensions taxed? Are all pensions taxed? Most pensions are taxed. There are some governmental entities that the pensions they pay out aren't taxed. That's few and far between. Most of it is all taxed. Ordinary income rates is is just income. And that's how most pensions are taxed. Uh, Now, people get this one confused too. A lot of pension plans allow you to take either a lifetime income stream, maybe for you and your spouse, or they allow you to take a lump sum. And a lot of people are afraid to take the lump sum because they think, well, if I take the lump sum option and I roll that from my 401k or from my pension plan or wherever to my IRA, I'm going to get taxed on it right then and there. I'm not paying that much in taxes. That's not how it works. You get a pension option, you get the lump sum, you roll it to an IRA, you don't get taxed on it right then and there. Uh, You get taxed as you pull it out. So I always caution people about that one. Now, there is a cautionary tale about that. There are also some governmental entities, and so this is all governmental entities where the problems arise. There are governmental entities that, if you take the lump sum option in your pension, it is taxed immediately. So you gotta be really careful and make sure you're talking to somebody that really knows their stuff around pension, pension options and lump sum options. It's one of the things we specialize in and we help people do, make those decisions so they're not making really big mistakes uh, when they do that. So that's Social Security and pension plans. Now, a lot of people have retirement account distributions, certainly. How are those taxed? Does it depend? Well, retirement, 401ks, 403bs, all that, that money was never taxed. It was tax deferred the whole time. You got a little deduction when you put money into it. So when it starts coming out, 100% of it's taxed from from the first penny that you pull out. So never forget that. Some people, I do run into people that think that their 401k money, their IRA money, their all their 403b and all that stuff is actually is grown tax free. That is not the case. Please Please, please don't think that Uncle Sam's not going to get his hide out of your out of your retirement account because he is. Absolutely. 
We're talking with John Crows and John Goodhue here about uh, taxation on Social Security. We've talked about it on pensions and requirement account distributions. You know, it occurs to me that based on the conversations that we have with our listeners, and I'm sure people who've come through the door there at APO in Laurium and in Colorado, taxes really, I mean, they really are one of the biggest things that people want to know about. Is tax minimization probably number one on your list of things to accomplish when you're designing a retirement plan? Oh, yeah. Everything we focus on, we start with, okay, how can we reduce taxes for people in retirement? Literally, we have 104 different tools and strategies. Actually counted them up one day and that we can use for people. And a whole lot of them, a lot of people don't know they can do. And so it's a, I always, I love it when I can save people taxes over the rest of their lifetime. And one of the things I try to get people, this is the biggest problem with doing tax planning. People don't like paying the taxes, right? Because you got to pay the taxes, you know, as you're doing tax planning. And they don't like paying the taxes. And what I tell them and I show them, I say, look, if you pay taxes today on this money, let's say it's IRA money and you convert it to, let's say, Roth IRA money because Roth IRAs grow tax-free. So let's say you do it today. I can show people that if they do that over the rest of their lifetime, it's really not an expense. It's actually an investment to pay those taxes because what will happen is they will have more money over their lifetime at about a 10 to 15% rate of return is kind of what it equates to. And so when I show people that, they are amazed. And that's when I can start getting the people to actually start doing some tax planning when they see the benefits of it. Like we were just talking about Social Security. We can design plans so that people's Social Security is not taxed. And a lot of people think that's a that's a miracle when we, we help them do that. But yeah, the tax planning is absolutely number one on, on our hit list and when we're working with people basically in everything that we do. Yeah, nothing gets people fired up more than when you start talking about taxes and how much taxes that they're going to pay. But when you start discussing and showing them how to minimize that tax, boy, does their eyes light up. Well, we're in a historically low tax rate right now. And boy, if you hate taxes now, in a couple of years, you're going to hate them even more because I do feel that taxes are going to go up. But nevertheless, this is a very important part of designing a retirement plan is getting those taxes under control, getting a tax minimization strategy. And as you said, John, I mean, that is one of the number one things that people are concerned with when it comes to retirement plan is tax minimization. I think two of the biggest expenses that you'll have in retirement are going to be taxes is number one. Number two, I can pretty much say it's going to be health care. And we're certainly glad that those are such important parts of the retirement plans that you do there at APO Financial. Once again, if our listeners today do have questions about tax minimization strategies, if they want to find some ways to legally minimize their taxes, call and get your no cost, no obligation retirement playbook by calling 906-523-9030. Now, you can do it today if you want. Leave your information. Laura will give you a call back on Monday, and she'll set an appointment for you here before the end of the year. Once again, that telephone number, 906-523-9030. Not going to cost you a dime, but it could be one of the most important calls that you'll make this year as far as your finances go. Again, you can request your retirement playbook online as well, too, by going to apofinancial.com. That is apofinancial.com. Well, gentlemen, it's a Saturday morning, and I I don't know about you, but I'm anxious to get over to the Gip Arena. I got some hockey to play here, guys. We got to get some gear out here. I hope you guys are up for a hockey game this afternoon. So for John Crows and John Goodhue, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you next week with another edition of the Retirement Playbook right here on AM 920 and FM 107.3 WMPL. Talk that bridges the gap.
The opinions voiced on the Retirement Playbook from APO Financial are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested in you directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing.